Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking out news of the day, none other than Sharon Reed, news anchor, contributor, and Rebel HQ superstar. Should be a fascinating breakdown. First story of the day, it happens again. Silencing the voices of democracy. Now Republicans are saying that a transgender lawmaker can no longer represent her district. As a matter of fact, let's go to this. Here it is. Then to Montana, amidst a wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation from Republicans, the state's first and only transgender lawmaker is now being silenced after she said uh, this about their push to ban gender-affirming care for children in that state. Take a listen. If you disallow the use of the medical care that is accepted by every major medical association, if you disallow that care and don't allow people to, to have access to that, the only therapy left is either A, meaningless, or B, conversion therapy, which is torture. If you vote yes on this bill and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. That was Representative Zoe Zephyr, who the Republican speaker now refuses to recognize if she tries to speak on any issue. And we should mention that ban of medical care is just one of the many pieces of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation Republicans want on the books. Damn shame. Let's put the picture up for a mass. You see, she's a lawmaker. She became a lawmaker because people voted her in. People voted her in because the Constitution mandates we have a representative form of government. This is a constitutional dynamic. You can disagree with policy. As a matter of fact, that's what the chamber is for. It is for debate, argumentation, disagreement, compromise, and then execution. It is not a prerequisite to agree in order to be heard. Montana's first openly transgender lawmaker has sued the state over the Republican-dominated legislature's decision to ban her from the House floor. Zoe Zephyr, who has been barred from even physically entering the House chamber, has sued over what lawmakers and lawyers describe as an unconstitutional censure, censor and it is retaliatory, silencing. Zephyr's 34. Zephyr, who took office after being elected in November 2022, sparked controversy when she criticized those of her colleagues who supported a since-passed bill that prohibits gender-affirming care for transgender youth. If you vote yes on this bill and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands, she said during a debate on the bill April 18th. Let me explain to you what she means by this, because many reporters have not either A, explained it, or B, they have explained it outside of its proper context. What she's referring to is science. Science. The reason why medical associations consider it good practice for this type of care for youth is because literally it actually decreases not only depression, 
in youth, but also suicide. Yes. You see, when you are adversarial to the notion of who a person is, we have seen that in young people in particular, it leads them to a different path. And sometimes that path is self-destructive when not affirmed. That is the science. You don't have to like it. That is the data, okay? So she's making an argument about life to people who call themselves pro-life. They don't like how she said it. They really don't like who said it. You see, if you're okay with this, don't get upset when they dismiss two young black lawmakers for saying something different because it wasn't what they said that got them expelled, it was who they were that got them expelled. So let's be clear. Let's have linear logic and integrity about this. If we say nothing when they knock on the neighbor's door, believe me, they're gonna knock on yours. There's more. Let's put up the Freedom uh, Caucus. Look at them. The Montana Freedom Caucus which the lawsuit describes as a group of ultra-conservative representatives, they issued a statement demanding Zephyr be censored, censored noting that the group has uh, deliberately uh, misgendered Zephyr in all external communications. This is to disrespect her, obviously. Now look at this crew here, okay? Uh, number one is 90% old white men, okay? You have um, one woman here, and I'm going to get into that in a moment. Let's put up the speaker. He's a piece of work, all right? Uh, his character reflects his appearance. The next day, the House Speaker, Matt Regier, a Republican, posed a question and said, I think she should apologize, but she did not. So once again, I want you to see the similarity. Keep his picture up. When Tennessee suspended two young black male lawmakers, it was to do what? To put them in their place. How dare you speak to us that way? Who do you think you are? A white man like us? Keep in mind, once again, this is not about the objection nor the policy. This is about who? It is saying it, okay? So this guy said if she did not apologize, her comments will be considered a break in decorum and that he would no longer recognize her to speak until he believed she, sh she could maintain decorum going forward. How ironic is that? He says, apologize or I would disenfranchise every single person that voted for you. Apologize or I would disenfranchise every single child that's in your district. Apologize to me or I will disenfranchise every taxpayer in your district. But if you apologize to me, I restore all of it. There's more. In accordance with his word, Rajir refused to recognize this elected official the next day on April 20th, when she asked to speak on a different bill, a bill that had nothing to do with the previous bill that would officially define sex as based only on one's reproductive system, 
essentially denying the legal recognition of transgender and intersex people. Four days later, April 24th, the House voted to block Zephyr from even talking. That same day, when protesters inside the chamber chanted, let her speak, let her speak. These are citizens talking. She stood up, she raised the microphone, which did not even have sound. Around six of those protesters were arrested. Let's put up the Republican majority leader, Sue Vinton. On April 26, the House, led by this Republican, proposed that the lawmaker be censored over the protest. One, two combination. Now, come back to me for a second, because I need everyone to understand what has happened. She does not apologize to the white male who's on a power trip. He says, I'm going to no longer recognize you. And then you have a different order of business, a different bill. And while proclaiming her uh, policy uh, directive for this bill, protesters come in, she lifts up a microphone, doesn't have sound. All of a sudden, there's a new motion from the House led by the Republican majority leader, Sue Vinton. All right, so Sue Vinton says, oh my goodness, I can't believe she held up that microphone. Whoa, that is such, that is such a break in decorum. And she said, we need to censor her again. The vote passed 68 to 32. The next day, according to the lawsuit, her key card to the Capitol building was deactivated. And she was told that she was not allowed to work on a public bench outside of the house. Think about that. You can't even sit outside on public property. You are an elected official. The lawsuit says that uh, Zephyr was censored for silently raising a silent microphone above her head. That is it. And failing to calm the protesters while other legislators have faced no consequences for significantly more confrontational behavior. For example, you see, during the coronavirus pandemic, individuals brandish guns, guns during their protest, the lawsuit states, despite them brandishing guns. During their protest, no legislator was disciplined in those situations for the behavior of those with whom they were politically aligned. They brought guns and absolutely no censor happened. The lawsuit filed by the ACLU on behalf of Zephyr and four constituents says that the measure not only deprives her right to freely engage with the legislative process as she is elected to do, it also denies representation of the constituents, which is true. Since the motion was passed, Representative Zephyr has been effectively removed from the legisl legislative process entirely and the voices of her 11,000 constituents have been collectively silenced. The lawsuit alleges that the retaliation is based not only on her actions, but her 
who she is. First open transgender woman elected to Montana legislature and a member of a community that has been targeted by the current state of state lawmakers in office. Listen, I want to appeal to those who may lean right, okay? I want to appeal to you. This is the shredding of democracy. You may not agree with Ms. Zephyr, but we should all agree that the constituents who elected her deserve a voice and a seat at the table. Because we all know if you are not at the table, you are on the menu. This action has put 11,000 souls on the menu that have no representation now. Nobody to say, hey, wait a minute, let's think about this. It would affect my community in this way. This is not simply about policy anymore. This is about down, low, horrible, corrupt dictatorship and control. And what are you going to do? You know it to those who may not subscribe to the left-leaning ideology that I do, fine. State your case. I don't want your voice to be silent. I want you to be able to make your point. If people elected you, talk. You have an opportunity, you have a seat at the table. This, Sharon, what are your thoughts? These are some mentally and emotionally very small people. Yeah. She she can't sit on the bench outside. Were they waiting to urinate on that as well before they right. let her sit there? Exactly. I just, they need to say what it is, Dr. Ritchie. Either I'm over here and I'm hate-filled and insecure, or over here, it's a fake war to steal your vote. It's one or the mm. other. It's mm. one or the other. It's disgusting. We will follow this um, to conclusion. Naturally, the lawsuit is going to create some friction that will continue for a minute. But but it may make a difference in how we decide these things moving forward. Legislators cannot do this to people just because they don't like them or who they are. All right, we got it. Indisputable, exclusive. We have exclusive video that the police thought they erased according to the whistleblower. We have access to it. Unprovoked, an innocent man, not provoking an officer. Here it is. All right. So this is the first part of the incident. puts the gun down in order to fight, okay? When I give you the background as to why he's even there, you're going to be really, really upset. Let's go to the second video. Hold on, listen, listen sir, you see me every day. Uh, he knows I live here. Are you back in? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Your card, your card won't work. I, I, I don't know why it doesn't work though, sir. You see me every day when I come in, right, officer? I come in for work every day. 
I'm going to give you significant background to this. You clearly saw the officer take his gun out, put it on the hood of the car. He's ready to fight. Obviously, significant violation here, right? Well, the video disappeared. Local media heard about the incident and tried to get the video but could not because it was gone. But we do have it. Put up the picture, full mask. In this exclusive, you see Sergeant Ortega attempt to fight a man and slams his weapon before accosting the individual. This is in Riverdale, Georgia. We have reported on Riverdale, Georgia before. You see, the whistleblower says that Sergeant Ortega is the same officer where, where we reported a bank robbery that was caught on video as far as the chase is concerned a few months back. If you remember that, it appeared that Sergeant Ortega was picking up money. Those are the screenshots. In regards to the traffic incident, the whistleblower sent us a copy of the letter from the chief of police, Chief Spivey, to Sergeant Ortega regarding the incident where Chief Spivey apparently suspends Ortega for this action. Let's put the letter up. We have it. It says, I have considered the information, verbal, other, that you presented in your written response received December 7th, 2020. Okay. This was in 2020. After a review of all the facts and your written response, I have decided to suspend you for four working days, total of 40 hours effective January 5th, 2021. Now, put up the conditions of the suspension. These are the conditions. I am ordering that you find two training courses within the next 30 calendar days on de-escalation and stress management. Once you locate these classes, you will communicate with the training coordinator and me if necessary to enroll in both classes at the earliest possible time. If there is a delay in attending either or both classes, you must notify me in writing. You must be enrolled in both classes within 90 calendar days. Failure to complete the instructions outlined will result in severe disciplinary action up to and including termination. I am ordering a fitness for duty evaluation by a police psychologist. You must attend a session with an identified police psychologist by December 17, 2020. It continues, let's put it up. You are prohibited from working a part-time job at Legacy at Riverdale Apartments, AKA Villages on the River, AKA Chateau Village Apartments until after February 12th, 2021. Please refer to Riverdale Police Department Standard Operating Procedure 2020 Section 49 if you don't, if you wish, if you wish to appeal this action. Please communicate with Captain Weathers to obtain any equipment necessary to return to duty on January 12th, 2021. 
So look what the chief did. The chief says, listen, I need you to go online, all right? I need you to go online, I need you to find two courses, one about stress management and de-escalation. Find those courses, tell us about the courses, put it in writing, go ahead and take the courses, I'll give you up to 90 days to do it, all right? Uh, I'm gonna suspend you for 40 hours. You can use your vacation time if you want to. And after I suspend you, you'll come back uh, on in January, but listen, you can't work at the apartments anymore. Chief, if he's not fit, to be a damn security guard. What makes you think he's fit to be a police officer? There's more. Let's put up the chief here. The whistleblower claims that those within the police department intentionally erased this document and this video so that it would not get leaked. So concerned officers stepped in, saved it, and contacted me. The whistleblower alleges that Chief Spivey ordered a department-wide investigation and threatened to terminate any employee during this time who said to have the video. Let's go to Sergeant Ortega. The whistleblower claims that Sergeant Ortega was not demoted. He was not demoted for this incident and is now up for promotion to lieutenant. This morning, there were multiple attempts to reach out again to the Riverdale Police Department for comment about this story via phone calls and emails. There has been zero response from the department at this time. Listen, I would prefer you to simply move on and allow people who actually give a damn about members of the community take over that police department. There are some good cops in the world. There really are some good cops in the world. What is happening in Riverdale, Georgia? Now I'm laying things out to you and especially to the people of Riverdale. My commentary, my commentary is authentic. The information has been vetted. The insiders, the whistleblowers, who do you think they are? They're police officers, they're police officers. So don't fall for the rhetoric to not listen to this because Dr. Richie is just anti-police. The police gave it to me, good police. Good police who are risking their lives to make sure that these things are exposed. Don't allow them to dissuade you from the reality of what's happening in your local community. All right, Sharon, thoughts here. So right now, instead of a criminal investigation going on concerning these really bad cops, they are investigating, I assure you, Doc, and you know this, you. Yep. And how you got the truth, how That's you right. investigated and got the truth. These people have taken over. They're holding the community hostage and other officers who want yeah. to do a good job. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We have more. Um, and listen, more is coming this week, next week. All right. Decisions have to be made. Mayor, council, you all are in charge at the end of the day. Representative form of government, they elected you. All right. Chief has to be appointed and approved by your council. This is still a political dynamic at the end of the day because the police cannot operate without political cover. All right, we will bring you updates as they come.
What if I told you a black waiter was forced to listen to people call him the N-word or just say the N-word loosely, couldn't do anything about it? Uh, let me first do this. I want to take you to the video. We'll get into the background of the story. Here it is. Story time. A party full of people wearing Confederate flag gear just tried to come eat in our restaurant. Now, when I say a family decked out in Confederate flag gear, they literally had what could have been a two-year-old baby in a Confederate flag hoodie or whatever. And then under that, he has a Confederate flag onesie on. Like, it is never that deep, ever. And then other people that hoodies, hats, all this. And they're sitting in the middle of the restaurant, too, which is just a terrible coincidence. And to top it off, one of our black servers had to take them because their section buddy was a white girl, but she took the last party and got scared. I guess it wasn't good. So I guess he had to take it, had whatever. So the whole time he's there, he said they won't, they're not talking to him. They're not really looking at him. They're inward this, inward that. While he's there at the table, y'all. While he's there at the table. Like they're not, they're not even trying to be quiet. They're not even trying to stop. And this server is a server that's always happy, loud, outgoing, making sure everybody's good. He'll be like, you need help, you need help. Like, he'll literally go out of his way to help. And when he got quiet, like, we knew something was, like, wrong. So we're like, where's he at? Where's he at? And all this. And this man, he ended up going outside crying. And this is a grown-ass man. Like, he ended up going outside crying. And he still served them, he didn't throw a fit, he didn't do nothing and all that, which props to him. Because I would have been at that table, I would have heard the N-word and I would have... Truly props to him, because your girl, it would have been over. Put up the picture. A viral TikTok video posted on Saturday describes how Arthur Mandy, a black employee at the Westchester, Texas Roadhouse in Ohio, the Westchester, Texas Roadhouse in Ohio was forced to serve a table full of neo-Confederates. He says, and I quote, they completely dehumanized me. The incident got so bad that management eventually had to tell all the black employees to stay away from the entire dining area until they left. Keep his picture up, dear brother. You're a good man, You're a nice man, decent, happy. The company that decided to tell you and all black employees to stay away from the white racist patrons, that company does not respect you. I encourage you to seek employment elsewhere. Mandy, Mr. Mandy, 41 years of age, said he expected the party to be his last table for the night. A reservation was set for 11 people, but initially only a small group showed up, including a baby wrapped in a Confederate coat. But Mandy said he didn't really notice customers attire until more people joined the group. The rest of the parties walk again. The managers come and pull me aside and say, hey, hey, if you have any issues with this table, let us know, Mandy said. Mandy told the Daily Beast that he properly focused in on the group when an older male customer sat down with them. I'm going to spill or whatever things or whatever things that we offer, things that we have, what he may like. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, boy. 
just get me a water with lemon. Mandy said that he grabbed the guest water, but the man kept rushing to finish his drink to order another, as if he was challenging the waiter, consistently calling him boy. And never making eye contact, he said the rest of the party joined in on the older man's tactics, laughing and snickering throughout. Mandy said he spent 20 minutes just getting drinks. Mandy, Mr. Mandy is a father of four, said his heart was broken when a five-year-old child with the group was directed to not speak to him while he served the table. You know why the child wanted to speak to him? Because the child doesn't understand racism yet. Child doesn't understand bigotry and hatred yet. That won't be the case for long. There's more. Then his mom chastises him in front of me. And she's like, you don't need to talk. He has a job to do. He needs to concentrate. The party allegedly ordered more than $400 worth of food. But Mr. Mandy said they complained so much that they had their bill knocked down to a fraction of that, which was probably the plan before they got there, dear brother. They also continued to distract other customers in the restaurant during a busy night, loudly using the N-word and creating a scene. Mandy said it got to be so much that he had to walk outside and cry. You know, I get really upset when people try to take dignity away from me. They was trying to take your dignity, brother. And your um, your company, your managers, they allowed it. Now I know they're not going to like what I'm saying about them. Fine. It's true. Because if your management was appropriate, they would have went to those racists and said, get the hell up out of here. Don't you ever come back out, trespass your ass to jail. Real simple. You can enforce those rules. It's called private property rights. Let's put it up. Here's the restaurant. Man refused to go back to the party, which upset them. They're mad. Why? Because they think he's their slave. After receiving their food, they allegedly told managers that Mr. Mandy messed up their orders, demanding they would not leave until he made another visit to their table. When they eventually did leave, they waited outside in the parking lot as if for Mandy, only leaving once a manager threatened to call the police. Threatened to call the police? Threatened to call the police. You see? Now, if you don't think this is systemic, this is cultural, that this is bias inside of our psychology, think about this. Do you believe if let's say black nationalist went to a white restaurant, okay? And they started to engage in conversations that were adversarial to the wait staff or that were critical or even downright rude to those around them. Do you think the management would have said, hey, hey, all white people, listen, just, just be okay with it. Just, just stay away from the table for a little while. All right, it'll be okay. No, they would have called the police, okay? Now, keep in mind, because I don't want anyone to get it twisted. Black nationalists are not racist. But even in that context, even in that context, 
they would have never been able to stay inside of that restaurant. Why do we play games with racist, violent people as if somehow it's something to play with? These individuals could have severely harmed Mr. Mann, and I'm sure given the opportunity that possibly could have happened. All right, uh, Sharon, I was so upset when I saw this story. What are your thoughts here? My my focus, Dr. Ritchie, is on just the management and not the, the filth, because I think they are what they are. The management is my focus because there are too many people like this, white people who seamlessly blend in with society and allow this kind of indignant behavior. Yeah. They're the reason Emmett Hill, Till rather, was hunted and Ahmad Arbery was yeah. hunted. Yeah. They're the reason. That's right. That's right. And the psychology is the reason why you don't get prosecutions until something happens like a video turns up, turns up and all of a sudden you get an indictment, right? All right. We're going to follow this story. I do hope there's more to come with this. Uh, young man, I, I really encourage you to seek every option you have available to you because you have some. Okay. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. I'm kind of pressed for time, but I will read um, as many as I can. All right, um, great point. Mika C. Silverhead Dragon says, Republicans know they cannot win elections, so instead they're eliminating Dems who have been voted in by the people. Uh, DeSantis did it, that's correct. Uh, Tennessee tried to do it with two justices. Now this, they're illegally changing laws to allow them to overturn the will of the people. That's right, that's right. People are supposed to pick the politician, but when the politician doesn't believe that they can win, the politician will start to pick the voter. They will start to pick the people who can participate in democracy. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Meredith Putvin. Thank you so much, Meredith. Somehow uh, throw Robert Rules of Order, newly revised at the Republicans. Decorum does not care about feelings. Uh, Chris Birch, thank you, Chris. Uh, respect and prayers, doctor. Keep spreading that good word, brother. We need it in North Carolina. I hope everything went well. On your JD exams, Dr. Chris Birch. You know, and thank you for that, brother. I, I made all A's, man. Uh, I was actually surprised, all right? This is my first time having it down the slate, all right? So I think things are uh, getting easier after a certain point in law school. Everybody says, you know, after a certain point, it's gonna be easy. Well, hopefully we're there. Okay, one more. Uh, Neo, oh, Neon Death 07. You know, Chief, Chief Spivey, is going to tear his department apart, looking for the whistleblower, why he promotes a dumbass. Exactly, exactly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on him for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're gonna feel back off! I'm gonna tell the American man threatening my life. So Give me my stuff.
put up the picture best one we could actually screenshot so according to the narrative um, this particular Karen was really upset about a delay in luggage well that delay is a delay I get it inconvenient yes but handling it that way because of inconvenience will always get you landed right here I want to say something about the professional who attempted to inform the Karen of what was happening. Uh, way to go. Way to go. Someone in policing should definitely look at your video to practice de-escalation. You remain professional. Your voice remain calm. You never allowed the emotionality of the other individual to bring you out of character. Way to go. Sharon, you know, there's entitlement and then there's this well, I, I get it, your inconvenience, but extreme behavior from there. What are your thoughts? I almost don't want to say it, Doc, because you're so professional, but, <laughs> oh, and you're right. If I wish they would have tased their ass. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I, I, really? <laughs> Just one I, time. I, yeah, hopefully uh, somebody can intervene, make sure that this Karen doesn't uh, engage any further. Hell of a story, all right? An ex-firefighter, ex-firefighter, pulls a gun on a man over a property dispute. Put up the picture full mass. A former University of Minnesota football player, Tellis Redmond, was nearly shot in the head last Friday. Why? Because a retired Minneapolis firefighter named Eric Matthew Jaggers, 54 years of age, decided to assault this young man. He has been arrested and charged with allegedly assaulting, firing a gun, and yelling racial slurs at the victim. Redmond, 44, was driving through an alleyway in the community where Eric lives. Mr. Redmond said he saw wooden boards and other debris in the alleyway, in the alleyway, attempting to avoid hitting the objects when Jagger suddenly appeared and threw a boot at his vehicle after a piece of wood landed on his property. Redmond then got out of his vehicle and Jaggers demanded, you pick up that piece of wood. Redmond refused, all right? And Jaggers then reportedly went to his garage, grabbed a shotgun over that, grabbed a shotgun. The 54-year-old then allegedly began to pick a fight with Mr. Redmond and allegedly attempted to shoot him. Jagger said that he grabbed him by his shirt and demanded that he get on all fours after he refused to pick up the object 
That's according to Sports Illustrated. The two men reportedly wrestled as Redman attempted to remove the gun from Jagger's hand. Jaggers was able to get the gun near Redman's head, pulled the trigger, but it did not hit Mr. Redman. He lost control of the gun and dropped it. Redman left the scene, called the police. Jagger's neighbors uh, witnessed the incident and said that he called Redman the N-word. The neighbor also said he heard Jaggers yell, say goodbye to your five-year-old before he pulled the trigger. He also allegedly told Mr. Redman, I am a firefighter and I know the police. I won't get in trouble. Okay, now, now. Let's say it doesn't turn out this way. Let's say the firefighter got his wish. And there's a black man dead on his property. He's right. He probably doesn't get in trouble. Because he will say, look, he's on my property officer. I was in fear for my life. I mean, uh, he's a scary black male. What was I supposed to do? Oh, I'm not racist, officer. I was just a little upset. My neighbors just saw that I was upset. That's all. I mean, I should not have said it, but I was defending my life. He would have walked if it had not been for the actual testimony of the man who survived. And then look at the tactic. He literally wanted the man to fight him. This was a tactic. According to the arrest report, defendant stated that he regrets everything that happened and wished that it never happened. Defendant admitted that he retrieved a gun from his garage when the victim refused to pick up the board that he ran over. Defendant said that he didn't think he pointed the gun at the victim, but he did point the gun into the air and told the victim he better pick up the board. The incident reportedly took place on the 14th of April with the local police saying they responded to reports of a man with a gun on the 4000 block of 17th Avenue. Police said when they located Jaggers, he had two firearms in his possession and refused to get on the ground. One police ordered him to police took Jaggers into custody on April 14th. The county sheriff's department has charged Jaggers with one count of second degree assault, a felony count of second degree assault, dangerous weapon, and a felony count of threats of violence, reckless disregard risk. He is being held on a $100,000 bond, according to local KSTP-TV, and has a May 18th court date. We will follow that court date to see exactly what sticks and what does not. All right, so we have a different narrative this time. Uh, the black man survived and is able to tell us detail by detail as to how he got on this property, why he was outside of his vehicle. Because literally, if you don't have that testimony, the person who would have been the would-be killer gets to uh, fabricate all of the prerequisites up until that point. And based on that narrative and no rebuttal to that narrative, he likely gets away with doing the unthinkable. But the black male is here to tell us exactly what happened. How many times do you think it has happened the other way? I'm still surprised that he told a story and somebody believed him Yeah. and an arrest was made. I'm still pretty stunned by that. This is yet another example, Doc, of how they are hunting black people. Yeah. We're going to update 
um, on the 18th after the 18th, because what I see here is an attempted murder. And I think a prosecutor can make a case that this entire thing could have also been premeditated given, given the strategy this person used in order to try uh, to get this brother to engage in combat. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Good to be back with you, a lot of show left. Okay, let me go to these beautiful and amazing comments. I don't have time to read them all, but read as many as I can, all right? Okay, Puff the Purple Dragon, what a child this woman is, talking about the Karen in the airport incident. Uh, Wizard of Frobaz, I like your style. Thank you for that, by the way. Do all of these republic, re, Republican, there you go, groups share the same visual diversity? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, San Diego underscore J. See, Sharon's on board with what I was thinking. That's right. Great minds, they say. Okay. Innocent, innocent men incarcerated 17 years. They get $140 a day for the incarceration. Massively undervaluing what the government did to them. Put up the picture full mass. This is a tragedy, but there may be hope. Juan Rayford Jr. and Dupree Glass have spent half of their entire lives in prison for a crime they never committed. Neither one of them committed this crime. Two California men who were convicted 19 years ago for a crime they did not commit have finally, they have finally been declared innocent by the courts. A judge has noted that since another person confessed to the crime, their records should be wiped clean and they should receive compensation for each day of incarceration. Dupree Glass, 36, and Juan Rafer, 37, who were locked up as teenagers will now receive $140 for each day of the almost 17 years they served behind bars for a 2004 attempted murder case. A new law is the reason. So a new law sets each man up to receive from the state's victim compensation board about 900,000 in restitution, 900,000, according to CBS News, now that their innocence has been officially declared. Let's put up the judge this judge did the right thing. The case was brought before Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge H. Clay Jackie. This judge made the life-changing decision himself. He said, and I quote, I find that Mr. Rayford and Mr. Glass were not the shooters, nor did they aid and abet the actual shooters. He said this from the bench, according to ABC7, Lawyers for the men say their client's case is the first one to benefit from the new law that guarantees compensation for defendants whose cases have been dismissed and are able to present evidence that proves innocence. Glass and Rayford both had their convictions vacated in 2020 after state appeals panel was disrupted by a dramatic confession from a man who declared himself to be the gunman 
in 2004, the shooting that took place then, which left two teenagers injured. Chad Brandon McZeal, a gang member already serving a life conviction for an unrelated murder, shattered the prosecution's case with his testimony. As a result, the men were allowed to walk free for the first time since Glass was 17 and Rayford was 18. A trial to determine their innocence started on October 2022 and culminated on April 20th, 2023. I thought about this day for, long, for so long. I thought about it when I was locked up for 17 years. I thought about it for my last two years being free. I want it for this day because, you know, I knew I was innocent of every crime they said I committed. Rayford, now a father, said after the ruling. What did Glass say? Glass also commented, saying the day, the Thursday of the judge's ruling was wonderful and ended a 20-year nightmare, a 20-year nightmare. It was finally over. We can go on with our lives, Glass said. On the day of the incident, shots were fired into the victim's Lancaster home during an altercation with a group of kids. Glass admits he did go to the victim's house, but only to fight. The Los Angeles Times reports while he was there, someone started shooting and the young man fled. Ten days later, after the shooting, Glass recalls his picture being on wanted uh, posters for attempted murder. During the original trial, the prosecution successfully argued under the kill zone theory that Glass and Rafer planned on murdering 11 people around them. Excuse me, 11 people around them, the co-defendants were convicted of 11 counts of attempted murder and sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences. 10 months after the incident, Glass had to reconcile the idea that he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison for the crime, never wavering on their stories. Glass and Rayford had always maintained they were not the shooters. They were not behind two others sustaining non-life-threatening injuries. That trial never should have been brought in the first place. There was no evidence trying them to or tying them to the shooting zero according to defense attorney annie Deladonna, noting that there that neither of the men had criminal records at the time miss donna even stated that then young men never had a gun in fact for at least five years the los angeles county district attorney's office had been aware of witness statements that suggested glass and rayford were wrongfully convicted still Nothing was done and they remained in jail until the 2020 law was introduced and they were allowed to present their case again before the court. Glass and Rayford owe a great deal of their freedom also to the hard work. I want to mention this to the Innocent Innocence Rights Project at the University of California. They were deeply involved. The Irvin School of Law, defense attorney Eric uh, Dubin and Jackie was uh, meticulous in detailing why. He was declaring the man innocent, a necessary ruling for them to benefit from the law. This is not the end of the saga. The lawyers plan on filing lawsuits against the state, the county, the district attorney's office for wrongful prosecution. Okay? Two men, two children, actually. They get a murder pinned on them, attempted murder pinned on them. They clearly didn't do it. No evidence connecting them to it. No forensics. And they both corroborate the same exact story. We didn't do it. All right. Doesn't matter. You're black. You're young. You have a prosecutor who's willing to ignore the evidence. 
you get a conviction. Their children, when they get this conviction, think about this. They didn't do it. And to get a mere $140 a day, let me tell you why. You don't simply calculate what a person may have made via income. This is punitive. You have to allocate some punitive remedy here. There has to be a punishment for the government. And the only way you can punish the government is through what's called punitive measure. That means money. All right, Sharon, thoughts on this. I want to praise Innocence Project, uh, these, these various organizations, this incredible judge, because they've done good work, Dr. Ritchie. But I just want to rail against these prosecutors and others who are part of the system that make it their business. They know when it's wrong, but they just keep going. And then they want laws passed to keep you from getting not even 50 cents on the dollar. I don't know how you can sleep. You must be so tired. How do you sleep knowing you've done this? That's right. That's right. And to think this would not have even happened if it had not been for the law changing, which once again equates the policy. Good policy creates life. Bad policy creates death. All right. What if I told you the police um, shoot a hostage multiple times intentionally in order to stop another person and they are justified in doing so. They're shooting a hostage on purpose. Put up the picture. This is such a sad story. Don Davis is a Georgia truck driver. He was shot nine times by state troopers and deputies who were trying to stop a murder suspect from holding Davis hostage in his truck. Keep his picture up. You heard me right. The police shot the man you're looking at nine times in order, according to them, to stop the murder suspect from holding Davis hostage. However, federal appeals court has ruled the police can shoot hostages even intentionally, if they fear for the lives, for their lives, or to stop a fleeing felon, this is all quite insane. The incident occurred in 2015 when Oglethorpe County Sheriff deputies and Georgia State Patrol officers were waiting on a dirt road outside of a logging camp for a suspect. A murder suspect, his name is Ryan Arnold. Ryan? Arnold was terrorizing the loggers, according to the police, and he was planning his escape. Arnold had already shot his pregnant girlfriend and left her for dead before leading police on a chase. A trooper exchanged gunfire with the murder suspect before his gate, uh, getaway car ran out of gas at the logging camp. Don Davis, the trucker, was getting ready to pull out with the full load of lumber when Arnold jumped in his truck with the rifle. Now, what happens? He's a hostage now. The man who's at work in his truck is now a hostage, an elderly male hostage. He fired a shot, blew my side mirror out. I thought that was my head. But look, you know, I got lucky, Davis said. Davis picked up his phone and called 911. The kidnapper knew 
he was calling. So what's happening right now? Man is approaching. He has a shotgun. He shoots. It's a scary situation for this trucker. The trucker still has enough ability, capacity to call 911. Why? Because he believes 911 will come there to help him. The man who actually held him hostage refused to shoot him. The insanity of this. But the police that he called to help him decided otherwise. Dispatch records confirm. Police were told that the hostage was driving the logging truck with the killer threatening his life. So they knew he was a hostage, is my point. The subject you all are looking for is in the vehicle with him advising if he does not go where he tells him he will kill him. A dispatcher said over the radio minutes before the shooting. Some officers testified they did not hear that message, while others confirmed they knew the man driving the truck was actually the hostage. They were well aware of this, okay? Two Georgia State Patrol troopers and a pair of Oglethorpe County deputies opened fire, intentionally opened fire. And they shot the cab of the truck using shotguns, knowing good and damn well the person driving is a hostage. They aimed at the hostage, shot him. The truck was shot more than 35 times, shooting the driver, shooting who is driving that truck will stop that truck. That's a direct quote from GBI special agent in charge. Let me say that again. The police said shooting the driver, shooting who is driving that truck will stop that truck. So they did so. Put up the picture of what they did to this man. He was a hostage. He was the victim. So I'm going to tell you something that you may not want to hear. They shot you because they were mad at him. They shot you because they were not going to let him get away or even have time to help you get away from him. So they shot you. Police reaction to the scene. Let's put it up. There's more. Davis and wife Kathy, they sued the officers, rightfully so. They sued them in federal court, had to get it out of the local jurisdiction for obvious reasons. Oglethorpe County and two sheriff deputies settled with the couple for a mere $195,000 as part of the court-ordered mediation, according to a document obtained through a records request. The rest of the case was thrown out by the U.S. District Court. While the shooting occurred in 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court just this week let stand a federal court ruling that police owe the hostage nothing for his medical bills for the lasting effects of the officer-inflicted gunshot wounds. When I tell you the court is so wrong on this, the Supreme Court made a ruling Police officers, police officers are allowed to shoot hostages, not by accident. Understand the, the accident clause, they can damn to do anything by accident and not be held accountable. The court has ruled they can do this as a strategy, as an, an intent to hurt or somehow stop or maybe even kill uh, someone they're going after, even if they have to kill or shoot a hostage in the process, intentionally. What? Come on, wait a minute. This violates every, every normal faculty of decency I can imagine. You can intentionally shoot a hostage. All right, Sharon, thoughts on this. If the Supreme Court is right, then 
respectfully, Dr. Ritchie, you don't need to go to law school. There are no laws. Just right. one, hold up one piece of paper and it says, we the police and we do mm. as we wish. Even George Bush wrestled with the order to shoot down the planes on September 11th. That's right. Okay. Yep. This is, you said it, it's insanity. Some yeah. There's something wrong going on here and yeah. it's stuck. What yeah. do you do? I go back to uh, our dear brother, uh, the mayor, former mayor out of Ithaca, New York, who said, you know, 75% of the officers that were hired or would have been hired uh, did not pass a psychological evaluation, uh, which means if you take that data, around 75% of cops that are policing today may not be psychologically qualified to be police officers. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back. Always good to be with every single one of you. Uh, let me say thank you to Barbara Gutton. Uh, welcome to Indisputable. If you would like to be a supporter of this movement, make sure you subscribe various levels for all the budgets. All right. Would love to have you join as a partner at that level. OK, a school resource officer. All right. School resource officer caught praying on a student. Put the picture up. So this fellow right, thought uh, he wasn't going to get caught, obviously, from Hopkinton Police Deputy Chief John J. Porter is accused of preying on a child during his time as a school resource officer in the town school system. The 54-year-old has now been indicted on three charges related to the allegations. He assaulted a 15-year-old student, a child, in 2004 and 2005. He's accused of assaulting the student multiple times off of school property. He had no business even to have a contact with this child off of school property. This investigation has been handled by the Middlesex County District Attorney's Office and the Massachusetts State Police. The arraignment has not been scheduled. Last August, Chief Porter was placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of an investigation because these allegations came to his doorstep. As of Friday, April 28th, Port is no longer a member of the police department. In a joint statement, the police chief, Joseph Bennett, his direct boss, and the town manager, Norman Kumalo, said, and I quote, these alleged crimes have no place in our community or anywhere else, and we extend our sympathies to the victim. So last July, a month before uh, Officer Porter Chief Assistant Chief Porter was placed on administrative leave. He marked 30 years of service with the police department. His name was added to the police department 30 years of service award plaque in recognition of the milestone. Uh, let's put the chief of police back up, all right? So chief, I get it. I'm glad you made a statement. That statement sounds as if you and the town manager have concluded that this individual is a monster. I agree with your conclusion. Let me ask you this question, chief. In all of your years of law enforcement, have you ever known have you ever known someone who violates children to only violate one? Have you ever known someone, Chief, who violates children to only violate one child? You got work to do, Chief. I will be checking back in. Sharing thoughts here. Well, my heart is breaking, and you're right. 
breaking for the one that we know about, but all the ones that we don't. And um, I'd like to see a formal investigation launch just to see. That's right. You have to at this point. The man was there in that same city sharing. This wasn't a transfer. He was in that same local community for 30 years, 30 years. Imagine the damage he could have done. Okay, right, here we go. A shovel-wielding Florida woman has now been charged with hate crimes. Let's put her up. Yeah, if hate had a face. Okay, a woman in Claremont, Florida, has now been charged with a hate crime after damaging her black neighbor's house, spray painting his car, and yelling racial slurs at him. Yamil La Chapelle Ortiz was captured in security video using a shovel to damage a surveillance camera and then spray painting a swastika on a truck parked in the neighbor's driveway. Let's put it up. Uh, this is what you call a horrible neighbor. Uh, she did all of this, her neighbor, to her neighbor, Matthew Roberts. So Matthew Roberts caught this individual causing the damage on security camera just before it was smashed. You're looking at it. She broke the glass there in the front window and sprayed the swastikas all over my truck, her neighbor Matthew Roberts said, adding that Ortiz has been harassing him and his family for months, as well as shouting racial slurs at them. I'm pretty sure this approach she took to me was because of my skin color. She's made comments calling me black. Go back to my third world country, telling me I'm a human trafficker, Roberts said. Roberts then revealed a history of tolerating her racist behavior. He also said, listen, he has taken video with his phone, with his cell phone of her verbally abusing him, calling him racial slurs. Go back to Africa, little Go play the victim somewhere else. Ortiz can be heard yelling in the video. Police said that Ortiz claimed that Roberts shaved her head, raped her, and killed her baby, according to the arrest affidavit. Police said those things were found to be not true. It does hurt because I love everybody, Robert said to Fox 35 News. To treat me like that for my skin color is hurtful because I spend literally half of every day of my life helping people. Ortiz was arrested and charged with criminal mischief with a crime enhancement and resisting arrest. Roberts estimated the damage to his property to be about $7,000. That's a bona fide felony according to the state statute. Ortiz was arrested on April 25th. April 25th and was being held at the Lake County Detention Center. She has a bond of $5,000 only, 5,000 bucks. Go through a bonded company, you give them four, $500, they let you out. But she's scheduled to be in court May 22nd. We're gonna follow this court case. Uh, now, let's put it up. Many on social media have taken to using the woman's <laughs> own vitriol against her, all right? I'm just telling you what people on social media are doing. Sharon, uh, the man documented her racism. Uh, it was well aware that she is anti-black, obviously, by her own commentary. And then she does this. Now, if somebody was there, think about it. That could have ended even worse if there was a confrontation. All right. What are your thoughts? This is the scariest movie ever. Yeah. And she does look a little like the Geico man. And I, I understand that that's ugly and we don't want to name call. But she yeah. she started it, I guess, Doc. Yeah, she, I mean. she started it. So. Yeah, listen, I, I don't have any problem um, 
not taking the high road. I know a lot of people say, you got to take the high road, doc. No, 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 no. Uh, I take the same road you came traveling on. Toll road. That's it. That's it. Don Lemon, Tucker Carlson, possibly a show together. I don't know. But they're texting each other according to a new report. Uh, Let's put up the picture full mass here. I have an interesting story to tell you. Let me first start with the obvious. This would probably do very well as far as ratings. The challenge is everyone knows Tucker Carlson does not believe what he says. Don Lemon does, but Tucker Carlson does not. All right. So could a blossoming kinship forge the fire of unceremonious dismissals on the same day be developing between Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon? Maybe. That's one of the big takeaways from Brian Stelter. Let's put him up, who reports for Vanity Fair. Now, remember, Brian is a former CNN host. So he reports for Vanity Fair now. And he has reported that the two men, in addition to retaining the same entertainment lawyer, have reportedly exchanged several text messages in the last few days. The content of those messages, not yet known. Let's keep his picture up. Brian was actually at the same party as Don Lemon on Friday night. I know this because I was there. Don Lemon walked in, the CNN CEO was in that building too. Don Lemon walked in like he was the CEO of CNN, okay? There were words exchanged with Brian, Stelter, myself personally, uh, everyone who Don uh, talked with was in front of everybody in the crowd, all right? It was a party. So. All of a sudden, I get tagged on social media because of this, okay? Brian Stelter, with his roughly 800,000 followers, uh, took a picture of Don Lemon, myself, and one other person. We were actually engaged in a conversation about the show. Don Lemon, by the way, says he loves this show, continue to do the good work, et cetera. Uh, we exchanged pleasantries. Uh, and Brian Stelter tweeted, lots of media parties, in D.C. tonight for the White House Correspondents' Dinner Weekend and lots of buzz about Don Lemon's appearance at the UTA party. So let's highlight some of these dynamics. On Fox News, Carlson intentionally mispronounces the name of Don Lemon. He calls him Limon, all right? He's been doing this for years. Sneered at uh, Lemon's comments about being a black man in America and labeled Don Lemon a guy who makes millions of dollars a year from presiding over a show that's failing. Just about two months ago, Carlson called Lemon dumb and kind of crazy. So let me just say this. I'm not antithetical to these gentlemen working out whatever type of show they choose to, if that's even on the table, all right? Uh, But I will say this. That needs to be the first thing we address on show one. All this trash talking you have done over the years. I doubt Tucker Carlson wants to have that conversation. There's more, all right? Um, So uh, Don Lemon, interesting. So as uh, Stelter notes in his article, uh, in his report, Carlson and Lemon have bashed one another on the air. Carlson has intentionally mispronounced the name. And also, Lemon once called Carlson's claim that white supremacy is a hoax, one of the dumbest things he has ever heard. Wow. Okay, who saw that coming? 
okay? Who saw that coming? Now, there are shows that were at least moderately successful that dealt with push and pull. The entire show was based around debate rather than simply being an echo chamber. That's why I work really hard to make sure I have opposing views in the bullpen because I think it's important for the conversation and for you. All right, we'll see what happens. Ricky Smiley, dear brother, you've been uh, a major famous Hollywood guy for a while, all right? Is this just buzz? Uh, because you know good and damn well, Brian got permission to write that article. He was given the wink and the nod. Is this something or just publicity? Uh, you know what, Dr. Rich, I, I actually, first of all, let me shout out Roy Wood Jr. That's from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, yeah. That's we come from the right same radio station. Uh, nice. Good job, by the way. But, man, I would definitely put up the money to, to have that show because mm. you get Tucker Carlson uh, and Don Lemon on or whatever, I think you would kind of cool off a lot of uh, a lot of rhetoric. Uh, Don Lemon uh, bases stuff off of facts uh, uh, or whatever, and so now I think I think it'll bring like a a balance, so so to speak. You know, uh, because if you get on there with Don Lemon, uh, uh, with Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, and they have a show together, I think Don Lemon could articulate uh, a lot of viewpoints that that us have from the civil rights movement and us from the left or whatever. And uh, Don Lemon will hold Tucker, count, uh, Tucker Carlson accountable to some of uh, his dismissiveness of some yeah. of the that uh, people like myself and yourself go through, you know, just being a black man. And, yeah. uh, and he's a part of the LGBT community or whatever. And I think it'll just kind of put a lot of fight, bring the fire down some, I believe. Yeah, uh, okay. That could be. I, I've debated Tucker Carlson uh, multiple times. I think he is not a good faith uh, debater. I think he gaslights and typically doesn't believe what he says. Uh, but he can be entertaining, obviously, to those on the right in particular. We'll follow this, see if it develops into something. All right, Sharon, always a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work at Sharon Reed Live. Very excited as well, uh, Dr. Richie, to be doing TYT Sports. And yes. uh, I just dropped another one today. And what we got? Last Thursday, Jason Whitlock. <laughs> just Jason Oh, Whitlock. not that. You got to stop it now, Jason. I, yeah. You know, I wonder is, I think Jason is a real Kool-Aid drinker. At one point, mm -hmm. Jared, I thought oh, yeah. the guy was putting on for money. And the more I listened to him, I said, this fool actually believes this stuff. One of us both. He's really crying the blues now because his money, yeah. you know, Tucker left. And I know. Yeah, he's really so, upset. Yeah, they, okay. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.